The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. Now follow me on this one. This is Totally Super, in a world where sometimes we review things in reverse order. <laughs> took me a second. Welcome to Totally Super, yeah. we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur, though we certainly and do not review them in chronological order. If we sound uh, sexier than normal, um, it would be because we always record in the middle of the day, and Arthur is coming off of a day of acting acting with his actingness and his voice is spent yes. and i am recording uh next to the bedroom of my sleeping child so we are going to be slightly more reserved slightly smaller than normal but wouldn't that be yes. appropriate so tonight for it is, a movie uh, called Ant-Man? tonight it is yeah tonight it is totally super the midnight hour ant-man is smaller than everything else and that's not just yeah. the character that's not just that Ant-Man gets bigger and smaller. This movie, my impression when I first saw this movie was, huh, that was pretty good. <laughs> How about you? Yeah. Uh, I think it's the same sort of thing. It, much like Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, which we reviewed last, it's uh, it's a pleasant little Marvel film. Um, you had said like, you that's had the best you... way I could describe it is it's like it's just sort of a it's a what what a sweet little movie. It's not Bring this big epic speed, thing. It's... it's just sort of. It's actually been a couple of weeks since we recorded Ant-Man and the Wasp, but you had not seen this all the way through until your viewing for this recording, correct? That's correct. My viewing of it three days ago was the first time I had actually seen it all the way through. Interesting. So did it fill in holes left by Ant-Man and the Wasp? Like, did you find that, oh, it's does it work well as a prequel for to Ant-Man and uh, the Wasp if Ant-Man and the Wasp is what you see first? It worked pretty well, I think. The, the big thing for me... Uh, for one thing, actually, Ant-Man and the Wasp didn't leave that many holes to be filled in, uh, which we talked about in the previous review. The uh, It did a great job of bringing me up to speed in the sequel, even though I hadn't seen the original. Um, yeah, let's see. Certainly, this fleshed out Hank Pym more. Uh, to a certain degree, it fleshed out Scott more, but I felt I got a pretty good feeling for him in the second film. Um, of course, the you know the big... Uh, the big climactic moment in this first film was the was the whole entering the quantum zone thing, which, you know, obviously, having watched the second film first, I knew, well, of course, that's what's going to happen at the end of this film. Uh, I wonder if I would have been expecting it um, had I seen this film first, although the there are a couple times in the film and especially at the moment when uh, Hank is describing what happened to his wife. Uh, there, there are a couple times when they specifically say it's like, oh, no one who's gone to the quantum zone has ever returned, uh, which to me, even if I had not seen the sequel first, probably would have been a telegraphed moment. I mean, it's it's kind of like Chekhov's quantum zone in that instance. Uh, certainly, if I were watching this movie first and they mentioned quantum zone that much and we never actually saw it, I probably would have been disappointed. I feel like um, and it's worth noting that this is a film that I was never that into. 
until my seven-year-old, who is a giant Spider-Man fan, was not able to go see Avengers with us because he was such a giant Spider-Man fan. And I always make sure that I watch them first before I let him go with some very few exceptions. Uh, And so I did not want to take him to go see Spider-Man die in ash. Um, Spoilers for (laughs) Avengers. Um, So in, uh, in return for not going to be able to see Avengers, I sat down and watched Ant-Man with him. And it didn't take long for Ant-Man to become his favorite superhero, which really surprised me because Spider-Man is a kid. Why would you not like Spider-Man better? But in watching, I think that watching a superhero who wants to be a dad and wants to be fun is maybe more interesting than for a to a seven-year-old than watching someone going through teen angst i have no doubt that like an 11 year old version of my son or a 12 year old version of my son might enjoy spider-man more but i can see why this would be a marvel character that he would easily latch on to that and his powers are so dumb <laughs> but are so cool like they can be something that a a seven-year-old can really wrap their head around like spider-man he can stick to walls and he can swing and stuff maybe iron man can fly and stuff but this is something where you can what he would do is he would pretend he had the things in his hands and we go to a table and goes i'm shrinking and he'd pretend to push him and then he shrink down and you jump under the table i go where are you and he'd go i'm back now um so i think that the the way that this movie would appeal to to younger kids is kind of an important place to be in Marvel right now. It's worth noting that there is not that much for the younger set in Marvel. And yeah, you can you can point to Guardians of the Galaxy, I guess, but you have you know the Jackson Pollock thing that they said there's Guardians of the Galaxy two maybe gears a little more toward toward kids than the first one but there is still that sort of sense of 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 we got to be adult we got to be edgy there's got to be something there in there and there's yeah not- i mean guardians of the galaxy still sort of has that feel of like the the cantina scene of the original star wars where yeah it kids can technically watch it but part of the comedy um and certainly of the mood of the cantina scene is the casual disregard for life uh you know, which is a very Wild West thing. And Guardians of the Galaxy is also the same way. Like, you know, they talk about, you know, Pyre just executing prisoners uh, frequently. It's it's a very different world than the one that we live in. And the same thing for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, watching Yondu with that arrow just killing everybody crazily. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a yeah. lot of murder. So we yeah. talked about in Ant-Man of the Wasp how nobody dies in that film. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of notable. The Avengers, the first Avengers movie, is the only other Marvel movie I would say is until Spider-Man and now this, which really is relatively safe for kids. The first Avengers movie yeah. has has the opening scene. There are there is some gun violence that I'm not that comfortable with, but for the most part, it becomes you know a a blast away shoot 'em up with characters who are all generally interested in doing the right thing. So yeah. That being said, I don't think anybody was clamoring for an Ant-Man movie, but it's important if you're a Marvel fan. And this is real proof that Kevin Feige, who runs Marvel, is a fan of Marvel because Ant-Man's one of the original Avengers. Like yeah. Ant-Man is is it's Ant-Man and the Hulk and Captain America and them, those are the original 
those are the original Avengers, and he had not been shown in the Hulk and stuff. So he kind of had to be there as much as Thor kind of has to be there. Ant-Man has to be a part of this universe mm-hmm. to really be doing the. I feel like this is part of the one-two punch of the big middle finger to all the haters of Marvel out there. It was this in Guardians of the Galaxy. They go, look, we're going to make a movie called Ant-Man and a movie with a talking raccoon, and you're going to eat it up, and there's nothing you can do about it because we're Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> and, Which makes and me now you, suddenly want a Squirrel Girl movie so badly. I know, right? Squirrel Girl and Rocket Raccoon together? Just saying. Oh, so, God, what a romp have, that would be. We could and and it could we, we can we find any other backyard animals to be part of it? Is there a is, is there a, a, a uh, well you'd you'd have to involve Devil Dinosaur, who's not exactly a backyard animal, but is certainly one of the the fun animals and the mole in man, the Marvel game. Mole man, uh, mo, like oh, or mole man, no, mo, yep, yep, yeah. Oh no, mole man is is mole man Marvel or De- I don't know. Getting we're getting oh, off track. Goodness, about, I forget. About, yeah, this is about Ant Man. Ant Man had an interesting this production history, as I'm sure you are aware. Um, uh, Ant-Man was let's, going to be let's made. Let's pretend that I am actually completely not aware of it, Justin, and, and lay it sure. on. Sure. He sure. says facetiously. Ant-Man was supposed to be directed by Edgar Wright, of uh, who directed the Cornetto trilogy, which I love, and who directed one of my favorite comic booky movies ever, Scott, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is on my top 10 to 20 movies of all time. If you haven't seen it, it, it speaks to me personally. And he was tapped to do Ant-Man. The The really short version, from what I understand, is that this is one of the very few times that Marvel ever pulled kind of what Star Wars has done with its directors, where he kept working and, and working on it. And he got so far on it that then Marvel said, you know, we want to go a different way. And the basic line that I, I have always sort of sensed, and this may or may not be true, is that all of Edgar Wright movies, all of Edgar Wright's movies are Edgar Wright films. And, hmm. and this was, this needed to be a Marvel fan. So well, it's similar to what you were saying uh, when we were reviewing solo, some similar to what you were saying regarding how every star Wars film uh, to a certain extent, it, it needs to be a star Wars film first and then a director film second. Yeah. Um. So this is, Eventually, we replaced uh, Edgar Wright, who I would have loved to see what kind of film he would have made. And I think that mm-hmm. in a in a post Guardians world, where you see how well you can do with James Gunn's vision, which, by the way, today, to the last two days, uh, James Gunn was fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It's a controversial thing that I'm sure we're going to talk about when we hit those movies. And I hope that maybe somehow it gets worked out because James Gunn was amazing for those films but um talking about uh, james gunn james gunn brought a real sense of of bringing himself to the guardians movies if you've seen his movies before if you've seen slither and then you see guardians of the galaxy you can totally see how those two films are connected so Mm -hmm. instead it went to peyton reed who, along with Ant-Man, uh, directed Yes Man with Jim Carrey, uh, Bring It oh, wow. uh, bri- Bring It On, Down With Love, and The Breakup. Um, and pretty much that is his go-to, is sort of the kind of friendly, optimistic, romantic-ish comedies that are not really what you'd expect for Ant-Man. Now, that doesn't mean that that is unprecedented. The, the Russo brothers 
uh, from what I understand, worked on, I forget if it was Arrested Development or Entourage. It's one of the two. Um, but the Russo brothers, who are now in charge of all of Marvel, started in in TV. Certainly, Joss Whedon was most p- famous for TV. He had done Serenity, but was most famous for TV at the time that he took over the Avengers. So Marvel likes to do this. But clearly, they this man is not a... He's he's not a visionary from a director point of view. He's he's a work mm-hmm. he does a workmanlike job on on um, optimistic films. I would say that Ant Man shows that. In yeah, a I way get the that, sense that for both, for and really in just about every Disney film nowadays, uh, but certainly for both Lucas Arts and Marvel, um, it's almost like they don't that in general. The preference is less for a director whose mark is clearly visible, whose, you know, whose personality is etched all over the screen. Uh, instead, you want uh, someone whose work is kind of transparent. Uh, you know, they say the key, uh, like really, really good design is 99% invisible. Uh, in the same way with most Marvel and LucasArts films, the director's work is 95% invisible. I wonder you, th- you leave part of- thinking you leave thinking what a great film as opposed to what a great this director film. The part there's a part of me that wonders if that's starting to be on the wane. So you had James Gunn and then you have uh what the the Kiwi director who directed Thor Ragnarok who brought a completely different like, Oh really yeah, that's true. That's certainly that I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, everything about if you see what we do in the shadows and then watch uh, Thor Ragnarok, you're like, oh, yeah, absolutely the same director. So I think that there may be a trend to say now, and certainly I would say that the Avengers Age of Ultron is absolutely a Joss Whedon film. There is no if you know Whedon and you watch Avengers Age of Ultron, that's Joss Whedon to a T, much more so than the original Avengers. I think the original Avengers seems like it wants to be an Avengers film. And the second movie, Mm -hmm. to the dismay of people who don't love Joss Whedon, uh, is is a Joss Whedon film. Um, I could see that. Yeah. Maybe it's now that they've got now that now that superhero films aren't going anywhere. It's they have finally they have established the genre as a mainstream staple. Now they feel like, okay, now we can start having some fun. Well, I think there's also, and, and fun is the key word, right? I think the fact is, is that we are no longer satisfied with a superhero movie that's about being a superhero. We're just not going to do it mm-hmm. anymore. We're not, it, everything has to be deconstructing the superhero fi- uh, film or it has to, nobody has come out and done, I'm just going to do a quintessential superhero film like there's there's not mm-hmm. been spider-man homecoming is maybe the closest you're going to get or the first avengers might be the closest that you're that you're really going to get but now everything seems to be a a riff on on what a superhero film is it's you know mm-hmm. it's a superhero comedy or it's a superhero you know tour de force of kaleidoscopic color or it's it's a superhero film about strong you know black characters or strong female characters you know what i mean it's it's Mm -hmm. i think we're going to get to a point where just having muscles and a cape is not going to do it anymore yeah um so the idea of bringing it to be fun the idea of making it oceans 11 is a really interesting idea i kind of wish that solo would have had this vibe um, it's worth noting that the film, as opposed to Solo, which costs so much money to make, this film cost, uh, Wikipedia has it listed as 109.3 to $169.3 million, and it won't say which of those, what what that's about. That but is evidently there's one this, heck of a range. I know, um, but it's still, 
in terms of these movies, if I were to, for instance, I'm just going to click somewhere on here um, and just look up just for, you know, just for S words and giggles. I'm going to look up Avengers. Uh, what was a Infinity War on? Uh, here we go. Avengers Infinity War on Wikipedia. And the budget for that is da, da, da. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> 316 to 400 million dollars. Wow. So when you look at Ant-Man and you go this is like this is kind of middling action movie money and I would say the effects sometimes show it. The effects there's no those ants do not look photorealistic. They're cartoons. Yeah. They look like cartoons and that's kind of okay. Um and the set I pieces think- in this one uh the set pieces in this film are not you know, epic on any grandiose scale. They get very clever in what they do when he shrinks and, you know, essentially enters the honey, I shrunk the kids world. But even those are not necessarily, uh, you know, there's nothing big budget about this film. Yeah. the And those were probably the place where the budget was spent, specifically his first shrink. I will say I saw the first Ant-Man movie on an IMAX screen in 3D. And can I tell oh, cool. you, it was it's easy to say that it's not much of a set piece, but Arthur, when when you were shrinking with him, and I'm like, but, but like you know where sometimes you go to the movie theater and you have like the four rows, and then you have the walkway, and then the real risers start up. I'm like two mm-hmm. back from that bottom row, so my eyes, I'm I'm about a third up on the screen at this point where my eyes are, and the screen is ginormous, and it's in front of me, and it's totally covering my. You're talking about the uh, the first shrink in the bathtub. Yes. That is, I walked out going, that is something I've never seen before. I have never been within that. I've seen it happen to people in Honey, Shrek, the Kids and movies like Inner Space. Uh, but, and what was, and, and I think there was, there was, uh, The Incredible Journey at, uh, at, at Disney as well. But I've never, never had an experience like I had going into the bathtub, running on the record, um, being at, you know, in the party. It was, invigorating in a way that you know watching that frankly civil war wasn't civil war for all as fun as the airport scene was in civil war i was into the story and the tony the 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 tony cap story and frankly as time has gone on civil war has sort of fallen for me a little it's dipped a little in in my opinion as because what it had going for it was watching everybody fight each other but but where i had loved it before i am now slightly less strong on it because I'd feel like it doesn't offer a whole lot. Whereas I feel like this one really does offer me something I haven't seen. So I want to give props to that. Anyway, should we discuss the plot before we get any further into it? Yeah, go for it. Hitting details. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm trying doing it with all without. Yeah, here we go. You see, Hank Pym was the Ant-Man and his wife was the wasp and poor wasp got stuck in the quantum realm and Hank Pym, boy, he was pretty sad about it. So he quit being the Ant-Man and we get to see what he looked like with all of that, with amazing de-aging technology that we haven't ever seen before, but we talked about last week. So we get to see him with, with Howard Stark and Peggy Carter. Cause this is Marvel. Darn it. They're at the, they're at the shield headquarters, but now time has passed. Shield is gone. And Hank Pym has an idea of getting a new Ant-Man to, kind of help him stop the spread of his own weapons. You see, his protege 
has decided to become the yellow jacket and hasn't been able to get it to work, but he's on the cusp of it working. And if he does, he's going to start supplying the military with weapons that could be absolutely devastating and untraceable. So who does he ask? He asks Scott Lang, who's a thief, who's also a security expert, who's also really smart, who also knows a bunch of really smart other thieves. And he tricks him into going into his house to steal the Ant-Man suit, which then Scott puts on. And then Scott goes and learns how to be Ant-Man. And then he's trained how to fight. And then he finally fights Yellow Jacket and stops that from happening as Yellow Jacket gets shrunk, 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 shrunk. And Thomas the Tank Engine gets big, 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 big. The end. It's kind of it. Holy so crap. Stuff happens. There's, there's that, that is and without there's... a doubt. That is without a doubt. The shortest plot synopsis you've ever given. Well, because I think that when you have movies like this and movies like ocean oceans 11, the actual plot is pretty, pretty thin. What's fun is watching the, the unpacking of the puzzle. They give you the puzzle mm-hmm. solved and then you see how it's unpacked. That's always sort of the fun of these heist movies. So while there's more to it and there's there's interpersonal stuff, I would say that that really this is about Scott and him wanting to do right by his daughter, but also be a good guy. And that has that has made it so that he he has this world that's in conflict with itself. And we're with him for everything else you can say about these movies. Paul Rudd as Scott Lang is so likable. And so you, you root for him. We said this last week, but I think this week really drives it home. You root for this dude, do you not? I think so. The What I think is so interesting with this is uh, touching on what you said before. He really, he's in this for his daughter. Um, most superhero films, they seem to have that moment where the person realizes, I have power now. Uh, I'm going to use it for good. Essentially, most superhero films have the with great power comes great responsibility revelation. And Scott never really does. It's not to say that he doesn't, uh, you know, he certainly, you know, cares about, you know, saving the world and all that. But his main driving goal, his reason for taking action throughout the vast majority of the film is just he wants to be a good dad. And there is something, well, I suppose you could say it's a quote unquote less noble thing than wanting to save the world uh in its own way it's it makes the character much more relatable much more human he's I think the other thing he is, is much less film, of a he is much he is the least mythic superhero that i have yet seen in the marvel canon and in this film and in the second one he really is trying to do it the right way i think that the most yeah. telling thing is him at baskin robbins is oh yeah yeah I've, you know, I've, I've seen this before. Shawshank, the Shawshank Redemption did this really well, which is to say when, what happens to an actually really well rehabilitated con, like someone who's Mm -hmm. done the crime and done the time and wants to go out there and do it without crime, wants to go out there and really be a contributing member of society and society won't have it. And he is. To what degree do they get forced back into crime because it is literally the only option that society presents to them? Yeah, and I feel for Scott in this film because I think that there's there's a sad realism to what you can do when you have been in that situation. Now, Scott, of course, we have to say that Scott was not an actual criminal, right? He was a hero the whole time. We we want to 
he's not he's not a rehabilitated con he is was always a good guy mm-hmm. much like luke cage who we have to say he was well, innocent. that was what was kind of unclear that was the thing that was sort of unclear to me is that the did he like when people say oh you did the, i forget the exact name of the job that he did but was that the one time he did it or had he done it before because that wasn't too I, clear to me i get this i, I get I, the I, sense think, I actually think it's i actually think it's more interesting if he yeah he was a burglar uh and did it more than once, uh, but then still would sometimes choose more noble goals to burgle for. Uh, it's certainly well, and what he I got convicted of. It, was it not like sort of being like almost almost like a, a, a Snowden type of guy? Like he he was sort of a whistleblower who who. Well, the thing is, they said did he stuff. did. Yeah. They said he did that. I don't believe they said that that was the exact crime he was convicted for. Uh, we could certainly make that jump of logic. Um, my thought with it is if he was only arrested for like that one big job that which, as you say, is a very Snowden thing to do. I actually think it kind of it weakens his ex-wife as a character uh, because, you know, she she's pretty harsh with him uh, right off the bat when she's essentially saying she's like, no, I don't want you to have any visitation rights at all until there is a massive change in your character. Now, if he had actually been doing a lot of thieving on the side, particularly if he didn't tell her that, to me, that completely justifies a a sense of betrayal enough to say, oh, no, I don't want my daughter anywhere near you. If it were a Snowden situation and that was it, um, I, I, I feel like I feel like it wouldn't have gotten as much of a re- that drastic reaction out of his ex-wife. I think it's worth noting that uh, if you're listening to this and you're going to be kind of disappointed that we're calling her ex-wife, and we're not talking a lot about Judy Greer, who's amazing in the role. And we're not talking about Evangeline Lily, Kate from Lost, who is who is also amazing in the role that she does. The fact is, is that we talked about these guys in the Ant-Man versus the Wasp. Uh, Ant-Man for, wow, mm-hmm. that'd be a great film. The Ant-Man and the Wasp podcast that we did. So if you're years in the future thinking that somehow the it got screwed up and why are we not talking about them? That's you can listen to the next one and see what we think about them as as actors and their performance. I want to talk more, if we can, about um, there's something that's always bothered me, and it's not just me. I, somebody else I'm stealing from another podcast that I listened to. Uh, I think it was the Now Playing podcast that I listened to. That if you really stop to think about how well the how well the plot hangs together, it doesn't because essentially you have a situation where what was and this is my question for you what was michael douglas's plan what was his plan he floated his plan was to his plan was to train somebody to use the suit then send that person in the suit into the uh into pym enterprises or whatever the name of the company was to then steal the yellow jacket as well as destroy all of the servers that have the data on it now, as opposed to finding someone who'd be really good to do that, what he decides to do is put the suit in a house to be locked up and manipulate Scott into being the one to steal the suit. And then also after he does express his dissatisfaction with Scott kind of the whole time while also preparing for Scott to steal the suit and then also then be arrested so that Scott could then take 
the suit having never used it before well, the, the being arrested part was not part the being arrested part was not part of the plan that was a specific wrench that hope his daughter threw into the scenario he did not want sure. scott to be arrested but he but he wanted scott to steal the suit and then on his own decide to put it on not knowing what it is so what he wanted someone who was that it, it doesn't hang together. I mean, it doesn't seem like if I wanted someone to put on the suit, I would, I don't know, not do it that way. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. he'll take it home. And while he's home, he'll decide to try. Sure. It yeah. It's a little far. Give it a it's a little far fetched, but it's not a, I don't feel that the thing completely falls apart. I feel it's, it is a, the, the threads binding the plot together are tenuous uh, and thin. I agree with that, but I, I do feel like you could draw threads between the major plot points. I'm listening to a wonderful podcast about, uh, which I recommended to you personally many times, sir. And I can, I'm convinced one day you'll listen to it and it'll change your mind. It's called there and back again. Uh, and they, the Alistair who hosts that podcast has talked about, the narrative voices within the Lord of the Rings. And one of the things he says about the narrative voices within Lord of the Rings is that you always have to Are we to talking ask, about the movie or the books? The books. You always have to ask who is telling the story because the Lord of the Rings is a culling of a, a, a culling of and a narrative presentation of a book that was finished by Sam that was written primarily by Frodo, who then also wrote over parts of Bilbo's uh, stuff. So you have Bilbo wrote a story that then Frodo wrote that then Sam edited that is now being portrayed to you by another narrative voice and that you can tell within the book who's kind of who's speaking if you really pay attention to it. Um, in that there are times that you know that Frodo wrote the book and yet Frodo talks a lot of times about, about what Sam is feeling. And then you go, well, no, Sam mm-hmm. edited the book at the end. So this is Sam's voice. So I think that there's a way to take a proto reality of the film and say, if Ant-Man is a real story, let's say Ant-Man really happened. Let's say this is a, mm-hmm. this is a, uh, the, every Marvel movie ever came out as a biopic of an actual event. This is, the proto reality of that actual event that that the narrative voice of the film in that it is deciding to be a heist film is presenting you with the information that is maybe a little bit skewed the way you might have a biopic that will take three actual characters and turn them into one. You know what I mean? That this film is doing mm-hmm. the same thing where in that it is a it is a dis- the, the narrator of this film, the quote unquote narrator of this film is Mr. Heist film. And Mr. Heist film has said, okay, we're going to present it this way because it's fun. And that works because that's the narrative voice of this film. If you were to take the same, the same plot and put it in a film with a tone of, let's say, The Dark Knight, we would absolutely not accept it. We would say, that's I see what you're saying. So essentially, in short, what you're saying is different narrative flaws or different flaws in a storyline or a narrative work better depending on the genre. There are things we're willing to forgive in a heist film that we would not be willing to forgive in a drama. There, and I, I don't even know if they're flaws. Not. I think that we want this. 
we want it to all be be random happy happenstance in a heist film. That's what we want. That's what we want a heist film to mm-hmm. do kind to kind of hold it together. We would be equally unhappy if everything made total sense in this film and everything followed, you know, we the fact is is that we go, okay, why is Scott super strong? Because when you're small, you have the the density and strength of a man even though you're an ant and that's why when he's small he can still throw people. And yet you can carry a tank on your keychain without that tank being the same density as a tank. Well, and this ties into a uh, the this is ties into something we were talking about with the first well with the first sequel with Ant-Man and the Wasp about uh yeah, I mean this because this because Ant-Man's powers are really tied more into science than other superhero powers are you in order to make it all work you really have to play a lot more fast and loose with the actual science of the thing uh in order to in order to make any of it hang together and that's why ant-man had to be i mean there's a world right there's no reason speaking of man i was just just saying that there's no reason that ant-man had to be a funny heist film except that because it is supposed to be science, but because it is more than any of the other ones, the most ridiculous to go, okay, how do we present Ant-Man in a way that's acceptable? Okay, we just do it with a wink and a smile. And if you do it with a wink and a smile, suddenly, the, and you make it all kind of ridiculous, then it all hangs together well, I, th- I think. That's my, my opinion. Anyway, go on. I think that makes sense to me. One thing that jumped out at me watching this one, uh, there are a couple key things I want to talk about. Uh, the first thing that I realized was he I, he essentially we talk about his superpower being shrinking and growing, but really he is a character with two superpowers. And in this film in particular, they really explore both of them because the second superpower is being able to communicate and command ants, which, as you say, absolutely ridiculous, but they do it to great effect here. Um, I said this in the last uh, in the last podcast, how the combat sequences and Ant-Man and the Wasp made me want to play a video game where you shrink and grow mid combat. So very, very badly watching this first Ant-Man, the combat was pretty good. What I loved about it though, was that he had all these different kinds of ants that had different uses in and of themselves. Like I could see somebody creating a video game where you start off and maybe you only have access to like this first ant that does a very basic thing. But then later on, you get another ant that helps you out in a different way so that then by the end, you're creating all of these solutions to very complicated problems based on what kind of ants you use and uh, like a real tactical side to it. Um, And also it made me think about having it made me think about having uh, the difference between a superhero with only really one main power, like, you know, Iceman and a superhero that really had two and realizing that when you start having additional superpowers, while you run into the risk of, you know, creating just some kind of overpowered thing, like you run into the risk of creating a Superman at the same time, the, Sometimes some of the coolest narrative things that we can get would actually be from the interplay of these two powers and how you can use these two powers to complement each other. Yeah, I mean, 
that being said, <laughs> he's still controlling ants. I mean, that's yeah. But what do you think down, about the te- what do you think about the two power thing? Like forget Ant Man. I mean, like just in in general, what it makes me think. I actually I actually kind of want to go back now and think. Okay, who are my favorite superheroes? Not just in terms of personality, but in terms of like what they can do. Okay, and um, sure. I mean, there's. I think that that you have well, there's Wolverine, right? Is his powers interact with each other, but they really are the fact that Wolverine is is a is a character who heals um, is almost antithetical to a character that creates you know who creates things with his claws. Um, mm. Now now you now you've put me on on. Hmm. Give, give me a say. Hey, this is called the Justin pauses to try and figure out characters with two. Oh well, no, two, that's fine. Uh, that's not a. But it, it's, um, it's you know it's something for us to consider moving forward too. Um, okay, you know what? Here's here's one. Um, uh, I have always I if we if we're to jump off of off of Ant Man, I have always had a bit of a problem with the secondary mutation within the X-Men that specifically when eventually they had the white queen also be able to turn diamond. It really Mm -hmm. bothered me. It bothered me in ways that I couldn't even describe Um, that I, and maybe this is just that I want, you know, I mean, you're, you're right to reference Superman. You're right to reference Superman because what's the problem with Superman, right? Is that, the only way that you can create someone who can beat Superman is either they are super duper duper powerful, in which case everything explodes, or you have someone who's going to threaten. You know, you and I have talked before about Superman's. You, you, you. But the people save the people. That's the only thing you can do. With someone like Superman. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that that there are places where you know. I, I I don't want to say power so much as I think that that the it works best when you have secondary abilities, if that makes sense. That the the fact mm-hmm. that Kitty Pride also did um Kitty Pride also did, you know, martial arts was cool. Mm-hmm. She was the other go to martial arts character. And certainly there are characters on um characters on Buffy like the that had dual abilities like um like Willow, who was mm-hmm. a witch but also was your IT person. So I mean yeah. I think there's still no way to to get around it though that that I think that it's ridiculous that he that he controls ants and I don't know that it's oh one hundred percent I think there's a reason I'll that when you, you that- put him into the greater mythos of like civil war I think there's a reason that that they don't mention that at all because <laughs> yeah can you imagine that's if true you've not seen, and if and you've they not very specifically made, like, hey. they made. Uh, the the amount of ant control in the second film was way less than it was in this first film. And it was uh, used the only, really well. It the was other used thing like- that bothered me about the the other thing that bothered me about the the ant thing, and this is purely a personal thing. Uh, let's talk about bullet ants for a moment. Uh, were right. you familiar with bullet ants before this film? No. I, I, let me be clear. I knew fire ants and black ants, and maybe I had heard of carpenter ants. But I I would not call myself an antophile. Okay, I, I'm not even an antophile. Bullet ants is one of those creatures I discovered doing some wiki dive somewhere. You know how just certain little bits of trivia fall into your mind that you totally get obsessed with. Um, it got me reading the the Schmidt Pain Index that they reference. 
uh, in terms right. of insect stings and bites from one to so five. So wait, this is before uh, you saw Emma. This is in the past. Oh, yeah. This is years ago. So um, when they brought this up at the, the film, you were like, ha ha. This is uh-huh. Unix. I know cool, this. Cool. And then they did not do the bit. So here's the thing. So you saw the bullet ants bite the guy the one time and he starts, you know, slapping at himself and he's like, ow, 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 ow. Uh, the reason why they call it a bullet ant is because a single bite feels like you have literally been shot by a gun. The a five on the Schmidt pain index is immediate, overwhelming, crippling pain. Um, interestingly enough, there are uh, I think the ant is indigenous to Africa. Uh, there are tribes in Africa that part of their uh, ritual of, uh, you know, a boy becoming a man is they have a glove filled with bullet ants and you have to shove your hand into the glove Uh um yeah it's like uh, it's hardcore um so like i think the two most power the the two most painful bites or stings are the bullet ants and then there's the uh, the tarantula wasp uh which is a wasp that kills tarantulas so you know that gives you some sense uh so i you know they mentioned the now again going into this is a light-hearted comic uh, they they couldn't have the guy react the way that he would realistically react being bitten by a bullet ant because that would be completely against the the lighthearted romp tone of the film. Uh, so I completely get it. That being said, the part of me that for now that I'm just talking about it is probably way more fascinated than with bullet ants than, you know, just about most other normal people that part of me it got to that part in the film and i was like oh oh let down i mean yeah i i think that i think it's okay to play fast and loose i mean i really do i mean and i understand you know how yeah and and i i joked when when i said uh it's a unix system i know this but i remember when jurassic park came out like people like Mm -hmm. who knew unix were like that's bullcrap. Oh yeah, I'm um, not. I'm not disputing and, that fact at all. It's just sort and, of. I and, just. And it's I, a little quirk. Yeah. Um. That being said. Uh. That that being said, I I dug that there were different ants. Um. I immediately Absolutely. assumed that I immediately assumed that everything they were saying about them was fiction. I immediately assumed that that this is not the way the ants really work, and I was just like, these are fictional ants. These are Ant Man ants, and that's you know. That's not really how they work. And I, and you know, these are I, not real ants. These are not real ants. I can tell they're on a big screen. They should not be like this. Um, uh, I, I dug them as, in fact, I dug them enough as characters that when they were, you know, when they were being killed off so often in Ant-Man and the Wasp, I was, I was maybe just slightly bummed out by it. Uh, oh, that's true. That's an interesting dichotomy of in this one. When, you know, he's got that swarm of ants and he's riding to the rescue and then uh, and then coincidentally, uh, when, you know, the gun get when the bad guy is firing the gun back at him, it happens to just hit the one ant he's riding, which, again, you know, let's absolutely let it go for dramatic effect. Uh, And then you see the one little ant wing floating down like that is actually it was a sweet, dramatic moment, which is a little bit subverted by in the second film where just ant after ant keeps getting eaten up by seagulls. <laughs> which, which granted in a, in a post Deadpool two, two world, 
It was really great. Funny. A um, great moment. Absolutely. Um, uh, I wanted to talk uh, real quick about Ant-Man um, uh, as it pertains. Well, I mean, I guess let's do this uh, because there's, I mean, I, there's so much to talk about. We can talk about, um, I do want to talk like I did before about Michael Pena's uh, flashbacks, which are arguably my favorite invention for these films. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Pena just doing the voice and the flashback is, is I could, I could almost watch a movie of this. It's like drunk. It's like drunk history. Like you said, uh, it, mm-hmm. it's just so much fun to watch other yeah. people speak in his voice. Um, and I want to talk, uh, like, and I guess we need to just give a little, again, we talked a little bit about Paul Rudd, but I, I think that so much lies on his, on his charm and I will admit, I it's been a little while since I've seen Ant Man, so I'm I'm using Wikipedia to cheat a little bit as, as we talk. And as I see, if I look on Wikipedia, there's a picture of everyone at uh, the Comic Con panel, and everyone's kind of got you know, you see Peyton Reed, the director, is on the left, and he's smiling because he's supposed to, and then it's Paul Rudd, and then you've Michael Douglas who's just like, hmm, I'm here, and eventually Lily has like a plastic face, like I've been here a long time, um, and Corey Stoll, the bad guy, uh, uh, which I guess we need to talk about for one second as well um he's got a face on but paul rudd has this generally just like he looks happy to be here he just looks constantly happy to be here um and i i love it i love he seems genuinely happy to be in an ant-man movie not just to be ant-man but to be in an ant-man movie he seems so thrilled that i'm uh that i'm i'm super excited to watch him be him does that make sense yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. Um, um, what did you? What did you? What was your? What was your impression of the villain? Yeah, so funny. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, uh-huh. Oh, yellow jacket. What can I say? Um, the actor uh, Corey Stoll, who I don't know really from from anywhere. I'm trying to see where I know him from. He was in um, House of Cards season one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is he the one who killed himself? Yes. Spoilers. We'll go with that. Uh, 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 yes. Um, and I'm looking where else. I, I, I guess that's the only place I, I really know. It looks like he's done a lot of TV. Um, he was, he seemed game. He seemed game mm-hmm. for what he was doing. He, he brought the appropriate amount of white collar menace to his character. He was, he was fine. Um, I would almost say that his performance is as good or better than the performance of the actress who played the ghost in the second Ant-Man movie. And certainly above and beyond, let's say, Lawrence Fishburne's performance in the second movie. But the character is, I mean, he's hes Obadiah Stane from, it's, it's the plot of Iron Man, right? Is it not? Like with just yeah, the, the added there was there was something family. about He's Obadiah Stane that was. I, I feel like Obadiah Stane is a better was version of this character. Yeah, he was Jeff Bridges. Of course, he was. He was Jeff Bridges. Well, and, but there was also something to the. I mean, uh, the you know this actor. He did a. I mean, like you said, he did a good job with what he was given. I was I was a little underwhelmed by what he was given because it was so very much paint by numbers. Well, I think like, there's also. With, that we've seen this. I, I think it, there's there's a lot to be said for the fact that we've seen this. You know, there's a there's a, 
a theory in um, economics, uh, the one of the laws of utility that I really I always sort of stuck with me, and that's the idea of if you've been craving a cheeseburger, you want a cheeseburger so much, you've been craving a cheeseburger. When you first take a bite of that cheeseburger, that first bite is the best. It is so good. You wanted that cheeseburger so much. You take that first bite and it's just, it's just amazing. That first bite of cheeseburger and the second bite you take is really darn good. And the third bite is Mm. pretty good. And by about the fourth or fifth bite, you're just eating a cheeseburger. Now it's not the cheeseburger that's changed. It's you. And I think that at this point, had this come out before Iron Man, had Ant-Man been the first Marvel movie, I think we would have really dug it. I think we would have just entirely possible about it. Um, but the fact is, is that when you have a plot that so, so clearly mimics the first Iron Man movie and you have a character who is Obadiah Stane version two, but not Jeff Bridges, who is one of the greatest actors of our generation. And you have mm-hmm. this guy who's very good. He's a good actor. I would, I certainly wouldn't want to audition against this guy. This guy's very good. There, there really is a certain je ne sais quoi to Obadiah Stane that Jeff Bridges uh, brings yeah, to it. I, I would say I say qua. I would say I say qua for for Jeff Bridges. I mean, he I've seen him do stuff with nothing uh, roles. He just, you know, he's just a guy I dig watching because what he does is so so different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this, and I guess the other pro, I guess the other thing Obadiah Stain has going for him is that Obadiah Stain's relationship is with Tony, and I guess the thing is is that this guy has no relationship with scott he doesn't even know scott mm-hmm. i think he only meets scott at the end um yeah like his relationship is with michael douglas and i, mean, I guess we can talk about michael douglas he's good and interesting but i've seen michael douglas be astonishing mm-hmm. i've seen michael douglas be like if you haven't seen i've said it before if you haven't seen falling down good lord see, if you haven't seen wall street see it he's he can let me be, actually jump in on let me jump in on that since you brought up falling down again, uh, because we mentioned falling down in the last one. Um, uh-huh. And uh, on Facebook, we've been getting, you know, the comments on last week's uh, podcast. Uh, so many people are also saying, oh, yeah, falling down. Incredible film. Uh, I think one person even said that it took the, that they saw falling down and realized, oh, my gosh, the course of my life, I'm going to that place. And just the act of seeing the movie pulled them back from it. Uh, really? So I would like to say for this, yes. So I would like to say for this. And when you think about all the stuff that's going on uh, nowadays in current events, some of the some of the really bad news that we get uh, nowadays, and you go back and watch that film again, it is a it is a starting startlingly uh, current film. Uh, so I would like to put that recommendation out there for anyone again. If you're, it's it is by no means a happy film. Uh, it certainly has a couple funny moments in it, but it is it is definitely worth the watch. And as you say, a tremendous vehicle for Michael Douglas. I also want to um, call out. Uh, I have been off of the Totally Super page uh, since I posted the last podcast. That was Jeff Polier, uh, who is a a longtime Trekoff listener as well. Um, who is uh, who's one of the Geeks Radio super fans? Who I want to give him a a direct shout out for being awesome. Hey, if you comment on our Facebook page, you might also get a direct shout out sometime. So please do it. But Jeff, thank you for thanks for always uh, uh, chiming in. We appreciate you uh, you being part of the show. Um, yeah, I think I think that uh, 
that uh, Corey Stoll's fine and Darren Cross is fine and Yellow Jacket is fine. But in a world where I think this came at a really interesting time for Marvel. Um, this was Marvel's first real attempt to to do I guess I guess Guardians came out right before this, but I like like Marvel had been on a bit of a downswing, right? It 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 peaked at Avengers, and then Avengers two was not as well received, and Thor the Dark World was not as well received, and this was frankly mm-hmm. not as well received. And even a Captain America Civil War, which was really good, can you even remember who the bad guy in that film is? Like I remember it's a guy who Oh, I don't remember his name, but I remember it was I specifically him, Robert Redford, right? Uh, no, no, that's oh, Civil that's, War. Uh, the, no, oh, that's yeah. Soldier. Civil War is the is the guy who he's a the, he's a Marvel Comics character who wanted to manipulate them into hating mm-hmm. each other. And there was yeah. a maybe a maybe a little bit of sense of focus for Marvel. I think it's worth noting. Uh, Ant Man of the well, Wasp. Which we mentioned is, before. In general, Marvel Marvel has a villain problem that. To their credit, DC doesn't like DC. Just has a has a rogues gallery of incredible villains. Marvel has a few, and all of them are owned by Fox. <laughs> <laughs> True that. When when Fox has when Fox has Doctor Doom and Fox has Magneto, and until recently Fox had uh, Fox had the Kingpin, which finally Marvel got back with Daredevil, and is of course the best villain in 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 in. Marvel TV, yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right that they have villains. Although there are villains that they haven't they haven't touched. I think the problem with Marvel's villains is they are they are generally um, more realistic than DC's villains. DC's uh, mm-hmm. or, or rather, no, let me rephrase. They are more unrealistic. So where DC has the Joker, you know, Marvel. If you want to, you know, Marvel has Galactus, and you have yeah. to. You have to deal with Galactus, um, and and how do you do that? And that's difficult to do. I think they're finally now that you've had Thanos, and if you look at Thor, and you like, I think that that you're able to have um, more interesting villains now. And I think there's been a bit of a reset. We said earlier in this podcast about how we've also reset whether or not we're going to let director auteurs be part of the Marvel creative team. And now I think that maybe we are more. And if we do, and I think star Wars could learn something from that. The fact is, is that, you know, after solo, which was, you know, which was a quintessential star Wars movie, but was had almost nothing more. It was just like some more star Wars. Mm -hmm. I think that now Star Wars is finally getting star Wars is finally getting big enough that you need more than one personality to fill it. Yeah, th- let's uh, Marvel, be clear. We're, I mean, we're the tenth bite of the burger. We're the tenth bite of the Star Wars burger now. Yeah. So we need we need a good side now. Yeah, or chicken sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I now I'm hungry now. I could really go for a chicken sandwich, Arthur. Um, yeah, I could. So this is what I want to do. Well, do I we want to. Uh, I want to give ahead. our ratings, and then I would talk really briefly uh, about. And I don't do all Civil War, but I would talk really briefly about. Um, about ant-man let's, let's do this first let's let's we'll give our ratings about ant-man first but let's just sidetrack really quick to talk about ant-man in captain america civil war because it affects so much what happens in the next movie and it's such an interesting thing to see him play among the avengers um in mm-hmm. civil war i 
I thought that he was a wonderful breath of fresh air. I love him in Civil War going, here's your shield, Captain America. I love, I love him in that movie being essentially what I imagine is like for Paul Rudd to be sitting there with the rest of the Marvel guys. I just imagined that when they said cut, Paul Rudd was looking at Robert Downey Jr. The same way you look at Tom Holland in Avengers looking just happy to be there. Like I just get the mm-hmm. sense that, that that's how it was. And um, so I just want to ask you real quick to say, what did you think of Ant-Man's uh, comedic turn, if not entirely character motivated uh, turn in Captain America Civil War? From what I remember, which is not a ton, it's been a while. I only saw Captain America Civil War the once. Um, from what I remember, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I agree with you as comic. I think it is interesting that uh, in terms of who he was fighting, he was paired up against Spider-Man, who essentially was the same archetype on the other side in terms of the, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm in the presence of these other people and actually trying to be useful with them. I think it's worth and you just hit on something for me that that maybe is a theme of Ant-Man and Spider-Man together that, you know, when Ant-Man grew and become giant man um, uh, and and grab the wing uh, of the plane. He does this laugh that they did in the trailer for Ant Man and the Wasp, but he doesn't actually do where he goes, <laughs> like he is so thrilled to be doing what he's oh, yeah. doing. Genuine and delight. In just a couple weeks, Avengers Infinity War is going to come out. And I'm really curious how I'm going to feel rewatching. I've only saw it the one time. And. I remember it being spectacularly amazing, but the thing about the Marvel characters is largely even Thor, which was super fun. Thor wasn't having a lot of fun in Thor Ragnarok. He was kind of just bummed out to be Thor. Everyone's kind of bummed out to be themselves. So maybe what makes Ant-Man so fun is that he likes being Ant-Man because being Ant-Man. Well, I think awesome. it's one of the things that makes it's one of the things that makes Spider-Man fun too. Yeah. every new thing, every new suit that's uh, that he gets. He's so freaking excited by. Yeah, I think it would be to Marvel's benefit to listen to all the criticism that we've lobbed at DC, which just released a spectacular trailer for Shazam, where it's a character who seems to really like being a superhero as we move into the next phase of Marvel to to remember that what we liked about Iron Man is that he dug being Iron Man. And watching Thor be mm-hmm. Thor, he dug being Thor. And Captain America had to struggle a little more with it, but there was there was a certain uprightness about him um, that, that I think we've now gotten to the point where we've dragged the characters through the mud so much that almost nobody likes doing what they're doing or being what they're doing. Everybody is considering quitting on screen too, yeah. um, not just behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. I would remind Marvel that Marvel is not just fun because it's fun to watch the Hulk and Thor interact, how fun and funny that is. And that is great. And I do love it. But there is something about a character that dig that like superhero being a superhero is supposed to be wish fulfillment for us. Well, that's what you all did. You other pretend- things being all other things being equal in any film, the amount of joy that we see in the characters on screen is going to be to a certain degree directly proportional to the joy we will feel. Uh, that's that it, that is empathy at its 
most basic. Uh, and if the characters are grief stricken, then we are more likely to be grief stricken. It's why we like going to, you know, to, to tragedies and crying at them. So yeah. you're absolutely right. If the purpose of comics at the end of the day is that sense of delight and wonder, then well, we not do just that sense not of delight all, and not wonder. all the I mean, time, but we, but we need to see that from the, from at least some of the characters themselves on screen. Let's remember, we were all little kids once pretending to be these characters. We all wanted to dress up like these characters. And right now, does anybody want to dress up to be Thor or Iron Man anymore? Like, does anyone see them and go, God, it would be so fun to be them because they're not having fun being them. And there's a maybe that's the reason that even more than Spider-Man, that that my seven year old latched on to Ant-Man was that. Here's oh, a guy that is an interesting thought who digs doing this. He really, really digs doing this. And Spider-Man digs doing it for a while. But then at the end, you know, what do you do to Spider-Man? You really got to torture Spider-Man. That's what you do. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. So all that being said. All right. We got to get to the ratings on a scale of one to five ants, I guess. Oh, wait, what's the scale? What's the pain scale? You said, hold on. What's it called? Oh, on, on the Schmidt pain index. On the Schmidt pain index where... Where five is the, a glorious pain that hurts so much you love it, and one is a pain that yeah, well, it's, I guess it's enough pain. How would you rate Ant Man? Five uh, is I would good. Rate one is bad. A, by the way, I want to be clear. Uh, I would yeah, <laughs> five is good. Um, I would rate this a three point five. I think. Um, it part of it might have been affected by yeah. I mean, you know, my whole thing with a this is really you know a three is a, a three is that was a solid film. I enjoyed it. Um, a four is, oh gosh, I really, really liked that film. Uh, this one was a 3.5. Um, Might have been affected uh, by the fact that I saw it, uh, you know, parts of it on an I, uh, you know, on my iPhone. So, you know, certainly not nearly the same kind of experience of seeing it in IMAX. Um, there was, it, it, I, I loved Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, absolutely loved it it had a real spark to it and maybe maybe this first film was like the second bite of the cheeseburger in that um because if you ask me right now which film i'd prefer it i'd definitely say ant-man and the wasp um and who knows had i watched them in the actual order i might have thought different uh by no means do i think it's a bad movie it's absolutely worth the time to watch um it just didn't blow me away the way that a lot of other Marvel films have been doing. I listen to, uh, you know, I'm always mentioning other podcasts that I hope that maybe they'll mention us one day. I listened to the now playing podcast and they talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp, about how they didn't like that. They didn't feel like that this was worthy of being a feature film, that this seemed very much like you're watching an episode of friends or something like that. And while I disagree with uh, them, especially about Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think I, I dig the growing and shrinking anytime they do it, I'm in and they don't do that uh, as well as they did here on a on a tv budget so i that's what the big budget is there for that's the hundred millions of dollars are being spent in this one and the next one especially in the next one and i i am for that spectacle but i really need this in my marvel uh these days agents of shield which was had a bit of that whedon snark when it started was it's hard to say in a in a world where there's a tony stark it's hard to say the word snark when it started i just want to say that out loud um it's had that bit, but now it's it's grave. It's wonderful, but it's often grave. Certainly, the Marvel TV is grave, and 
Avengers Infinity War was grave. And by the end, Spider-Man wasn't grave, but it was so personal um, that we're left with Thor Ragnarok and the Guardians films and the Ant-Man films and this first Ant-Man film. And I Mm -hmm. love the connection that I have to just this guy trying to do right by his daughter. And for those reasons, yeah. Um, and for the reasons that you described, I'm going to give it a 3.5 as well, if only because I need to make room for the fact that Ant-Man and the Wasp, is, you're not wrong, is a superior film to this. It's better than this. It's better in every imaginable way than than, than this. This is It is a better film. And I, I liked it more. So if that's going to be a four, this has got to be a 3.5 because it is a, it, it, it doesn't stand up with the other Marvel films. But I would say that on the small screen, it might grow better than some of the bigger oh. films. I don't know how much I'm going to love watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 on my phone. Because so much of that is about mm-hmm. experiencing the wow, the visual ah, of that. This will play well in home video for a long time. I I would be surprised yeah. if 10 years from now, this is not rated higher than the more bombastic Marvel films because it plays so well in that in that regard. So I would say if for its smallness, oh, that's an interesting <laughs> Ant-Man, I will give it a 3.5, but it may be that smallness that gives it longevity that let's say some of the other larger films have. And that's Ant-Man, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, look, very cool. We're going to, I'll be right up to, to say to you guys that it is summertime and summertime is always more difficult to record mostly because of my schedule somewhat because arthur's on a on an unusual schedule now too but the fact is is that when the school year is going i have daytimes to record and when i have my kids it is harder to do so so uh we will try Mm -hmm. and get a couple more recorded we are still you know i promise you i think we got to do x2 next we have to unless we're distracted by something else yeah Um, what's so funny we uh we had all these plans for a specific layout of uh films we were going to do as we were going into the summer and then we realized oh wait that's right the summer is when like every superhero film ever comes out so that's sort of thrown us off our off our original schedule i want to say now and maybe this will turn into a podcast i was at a hotel yesterday morning in new york uh and i was slipping around my kids were there and we found cartoon network and there was a little show called teen titans go that i'd never seen before oh i've yeah, I've seen a couple episodes. Phenomenal. And it's hilarious. The trailer for the film actually looks really good. It's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes so far. So, Whoa. we may... Maybe and, we should be we, watching that one, too. Yeah. Yeah, we might end up doing that to interrupt ever finishing X-Men. I don't know. We Have <laughs> um, we, Have we done a DC... Well, we haven't done a DC one since we reviewed Superman way back when. Have we? Have we not done a Batman have we huh? no, I don't think we've done a Batman yet no we'll have we'll have to look back we got some Batman to to review uh DC's doing interesting stuff with uh it's now got a streaming channel where you can like get all of the like everything that's ever been on television or film in the DC comics so you can watch the old Wonder Woman show and then follow it up with Arrow and then top it off with Batman and Robin if you so choose um mm-hmm. and all all in between uh so that is an interesting thing it might be interesting to do some dc um, so a lot to look forward to 
Yeah, lots of look, man. Thank you so much for listening to uh, Totally Super. Stay with us. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, we're going to try and make it a little more consistent now that the summer's going on. I'm going to have other things to talk about. Um, uh, I wish to God that we still had the pop-off podcast because they made very interesting Buffy announcements right now that you and I should be talking about. But that podcast doesn't exist for now. If the things that happen with Buffy happen again, we may have to do that at some point in the future. But... For now, my tiny itsy bitsy name is Justin. And my tiny bitsy itsy bitsy... Damn it, Justin. I'm Arthur. My name is Arthur. (laughs) And hey there, true believers. Stay super. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment. 